0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation you've given us to walk with you in the, in the good seasons and in the bad, in the difficult, and the painful, and in the hard. So we say thank you, you're good. We remember that this morning and we cling to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, maybe I should have welcomed you, howdy, so howdy, howdy, 882 feet long, Uh, almost three football fields if you were to stack them one in front of the other, about 100 feet high, a little bit more than 100 feet high, actually it took them over 2 years to build and the shipyard that it was constructed in had to be reworked in order to accommodate such a massive massive boat and in 18 or 1912 with a few thousand people on it leaving from Southampton the titanic pushed out from shore At the helm was a man by the name of Edward Smith, and Edward Smith was a seasoned captain. You may know a little bit of his story. Thank you, Leonardo DiCaprio. You may know a little bit of his story, but he was uh, on his way to retirement, quite literally sailing into the sunset. And although the ship was an absolute feat of engineering, especially for its day and for its time, it was also a symbol of pride because the boat only had about half as many lifeboats on it as it needed to accommodate as many passengers as it had. And the ship sailed, and for four days, it was um, just your normal sailing ship at sea until on April 14th, 1912, Captain E.J. Smith got his first signal of trouble. He got a warning that there were icebergs in the water, and he ignored that warning. And Edward got another warning, and he ignored that warning also. He got... Seven warnings, Captain Smith got seven warnings of icebergs coming in the water, and he ignored all but the last one. (laughs) And at the last one, he knew that the icebergs that he'd been warned about were going to sink his ship. The Morse code rang out over the waves, and it said simply this, we've struck iceberg." Sinking fast, come to our assistance, which was not an easy feat at the time, about 400 feet away, 400 miles away from any landmass that they'd be able to send rescue ships from. 1,200 people lost their lives, over 1,200 people lost their lives in that icy grave in the Atlantic. You know what, though, as I look back on that failure, It's not so much a failure of a ship. You see, there was nothing wrong with the Titanic. It was said to be the unsinkable ship, and and maybe, just maybe, it wasn't the Titanic that was sinkable. Maybe it was leadership that was sinkable. Because if you look at the Titanic, the Titanic was just fine until leadership failed. See, I think the Titanic is less a story about a ship that sinks as it is a story about leadership that fails. Seven times the warnings rang out, and all Edward Smith had to do was adjust his course a little bit, but he was unwilling. And 1,200 people, because of it, lost their lives. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. A few decades earlier, a few years earlier, as the Titanic pushes off, there's a um, a man of a German ethnicity who's born in what's modern, uh, what's come to be known as uh, Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic. Uh, he was a German by ethnicity and um, soon found himself living and working in Poland. He was um, in charge of and owned a number of different factories. And as the Nazis came to power, you may have heard of a man named um, Schindler, Oskar Schindler, who had a number of factories and employed Jewish people in his factories. And make no mistake about it, at first, Oskar Schindler's intent was to make as much money as he could with really cheap labor. But as the Nazis came to power and Schindler saw what was going on, He changed his mission from making as much money as he could to protecting as many people as he could. And the fortune that he amassed, he used almost every single dime he'd made to provide for and to protect Jewish people, gave them a place to work. Oskar Schindler was known as a person of whom if you worked for him, he would protect you. He made a camp within his uh, factories for his people to live. He provided them with food. He bribed the Germans with every dime he had in order to protect the people who were within his care. You may have seen the movie. (laughs) He made lists of names of people he protected. And he decided, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something. And Oscar Schindler is quoted as saying, I had to help them. There was no choice. Well, see, here's the thing. He didn't have to help them. He did have a choice. And here's how we know this. Hundreds of people, thousands of people didn't help them. But Oscar Schindler had something within his soul that said, I've got to step up and I've got to fill the gap and I've got to do something. Leadership matters, doesn't it? Leadership matters. With lists made and lifeboats neglected, leadership matters. And here's the thing, your leadership matters. Leadership isn't about a title. Leadership is about and influence, and leadership matters in every phase and every seasons of life. Leadership matters. See, you know this. Leadership matters in your home, doesn't it? As leadership sets a a pace for your home. Leadership sets a way that you spend your money. Leadership in your home determines the rhythm of life that you embrace, and, and in some way, shape, or form, all of you are leaders in your home. Leadership matters, doesn't it? Leadership matters in your workplace. Some of you are in charge of people, and you're the boss or the owner at the place that you work, and some of you are are an employee, but you have influence in the workplace, and leadership in the workplace matters. Look, no further than Enron. (laughs) Leadership matters. Matters. Leadership matters in our country, doesn't it? Leadership makes decisions that change the course of people's lives and people's destiny. You Imagine how many pieces of paper, and how many decisions come across the president's desk every single day, and every single decision is attached to a person. Leadership matters. But it may be no more important anywhere else than it is in the church. Leadership matters. And we could all go around the room and we could tell stories of of our homes growing up and either the way that leadership in the home succeeded and charted a course for us to flourish or the way that leadership let us down and we may still be recovering from that. We can go through the way that leadership and workplace bosses have made decisions that just crush our soul and our desire to want to perform and to work hard. And we can also recount people and bosses that have just allowed us to be the people that God created us to be and, and allowed us to flourish. Leadership matters. In our country, we know that without a doubt, leadership matters. But we can all also go back and say, probably, if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church or you spent any time in the church at all, you can go back and you say, there, there were leaders either that allowed me to live into who God created me to be. They helped me identify the gifts that I had. They gave me places to serve in ministry. They encouraged me. They corrected me. They taught me. But we could also probably go around this room and say, there's there's times when leadership in the church has let me down. There's times when their integrity failed, and it affected me personally. There's times when the decisions they made weren't the best decisions. As hard as they tried and as much as they prayed, they, uh, their decisions just didn't serve me well. And we could go around this room and we could tell a story either about how leadership set us up to succeed and to walk into the destiny and the goodness that God destined us for or, or, or we can say, this is the way. That leadership let me down. Leadership matters. L- leadership matters to God, matters deeply to God because, 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 look up at me for a second. Leadership matters, leadership matters to God because people matter to God. People matter to God. That's why leadership matters to God. Because people matter to God. I love that about our God. And in 1 Timothy, we've been journeying with Timothy over the last few months. He's given us a picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a land that's not our home. Our framework has been that of exiles. It's a term that Peter uses to refer to the early followers of Jesus numerous times in this letter. It's a picture of people who are nomadic, are sojourners, and Peter wants to teach the early followers of Christ how to thrive in exile, how to become the people of God in the midst of a world that's not their home. Would you agree that applies to where we find ourselves today? Yes, absolutely. And over the last few weeks, Peter has taught the church how to suffer well how to embrace their voice in suffering, how to be prepared for suffering, and then how to receive suffering in a way that shapes our soul. He says, you're blessed even when you suffer. And today, he's gonna transition a little bit. He doesn't get off his topic, though, of how to thrive in exile. Because leadership matters, and leadership matters to God, and leadership matters to God because people matter to God, and leadership is no more important than when life is the most difficult. Look at the way, look at the way that Peter ties these two ideas together. Verse one of chapter five, Peter writes this. So I exhort or encourage, it's this word in the Greek, it's parakaleo, I call alongside the elders among you, As a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So here's what Peter's going to do. He's going to start to address leadership in the church, and leadership in the church matters, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But look at what he says first. This word, so, is a really interesting word. It's small, but circle it in your Bible, because it's really important, Peter's going to tie two ideas together here. Look at what he does. The so connects this passage to the previous one. And in the previous passage, listen to what Peter wrote. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, and can we let out a collective, oh, man, that there's sometimes when it's God's will that we suffer, Any theology that doesn't have room for suffering is not a theology worth embracing because it's not a theology that works on the ground because life is sometimes riddled with pain. He says, so therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so that, that we're gonna walk through pain and suffering. The question isn't whether or not we'll walk through suffering. It's whether we'll walk through suffering clinging to a God who transcends and is above it all. That's the question. And so Peter wants to push into the church to say, our theology of suffering has to point us back to Jesus, to the cross, to the fact that he's good, to cling to Christ in the midst of difficult seasons of life. And you do know that there were no chapter breaks in the original letter. So Peter wasn't writing here going, chapter five. <laughs> First one. I mean, it was just, it was, so it would have read, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so, while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you. He ties the reality of suffering to the importance of leadership. And see, good leaders, they cannot. Pull you away from suffering in the sense they can't preserve you from it. They can't create a bubble around you. They cannot stop it from happening. But what good leaders can do and what godly leaders are called to is to help you walk through difficult seasons of life with your eyes on the goodness and grace and mercy and faithfulness of God. That's their role. Their role is to say, keep walking. Keep chasing after him. He's the good shepherd. He does good. He satisfies your soul. Keep going. And here's the thing. All of us are leaders in some realm. And this call to not tap out of leadership when things get hard is a call for parents, is a call for employers and employees, It's a call for government workers and it's a call for leaders in the church. The times when leadership need to step up most are the most difficult times, but leadership's highest value is when life is in its darkest valley. So I encourage or exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, Peter's going to say, as a, as a fellow, um, in, in the Greek it would be the word presbyteros, it's where we get our English word Presbyterian. So the Presbyterian church now is a denomination, but originally it was simply a polity, it was a, a form of government in an elder-led church, if you will, and um, just for free, every church in the first century, was elder led? It wasn't. It was synonymous with being the church. The early apostles were adamant about setting up good leadership because they knew that leadership matters. So you go back and you read through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter eleven, verse thirty, you see that the early church, the church of Jerusalem, had an elder structure of leadership. You read in Acts chapter fourteen that Paul's desire was to set up elders in. Every church, elders in every church. You read in Acts chapter 15 about the Jerusalem Council, which was a pulling together of various elders from various churches to try to collectively hear from God. Where's God leading? Where's God calling us to go? What do we hold on to from the Old Testament and what do we let go of? It, were, it was elders that made those decisions under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 20, you see Paul's deep. Affinity and affection for the elders at the church of Ephesus He commissions them Now there's a lot of sort of popular opinion that just says we need to get back to the original church Which means there's no leadership structures whatsoever Garbage (laughs) Garbage Not I I believe do we need to get back to uh, More of a shape and form of church that looks like it did in the first century I think God's pushing us there anyway but make no mistake about it, they had leaders. They had people who were in charge of guarding, governing, and guiding the church from the very get-go because God knows leadership matters. Charge the course of whether or not people flourish or whether people perish. So listen to Peter's call. To the elders, and I would say, um, we're going to apply this to the elders of, of this church, and we'll talk about that in the course of this message, but also, if you're not an elder, so I'm not just preaching to seven others of you this morning, okay? One, I want you to be aware of what we will be held accountable for, okay? That's important to me, that you're aware that we will be held accountable for the way that we lead, but here's this thing, look up at me, so will you. You're a leader, and I want you in whatever sphere you're in to lead well. And the principles that Peter draws out are applicable in every situation that you find yourself in, whether it's in the home or in your school as a leader of a sports team or whatever situation you find yourself in, they're applicable. Listen to what Peter says. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So here's what Peter wants to say. He wants to give them a framework for who they are. You've seen Christ suffer. He says, or I, he says, I have seen Christ suffer. I saw him hang on the cross. I saw him buried. And he says, I'm also a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. I've seen him rise. I've seen the life that he now has, and I've heard of the life that he's purchased, and I find my worth and I find my life in his life, in what he's done, and in who he is. Partaker of the glory. So, so that's a massive statement, is it not? We aren't just observers of the glory of God. We we aren't just people who get to sit back and see it and soak it in. That is not our God. Our God is is saying to us, step into it. You're united with Christ. You're not just an observer of the glory. You're a partaker of the glory. And when you get that, it shapes and defines who you are are, the glory that's to be revealed. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. John Newton, the great hymn writer, puts it like this. He says, in vain my fancy, isn't that a great term? (laughs) In vain my fancy strives to paint the moment after death, the glories that surround the saint when yielding up his breath. One gentle sigh, the fetter breaks. We scarce can say they're gone. before the willing spirit takes her mansion near the throne. He goes, "Hey, this is our destiny, this is what we're pushing towards. This is what we're stepping into by God's grace and His glory and His goodness. And here's the thing that he wants to say. Here's what, here's what leaders do. They recognize their god-given identity. They recognize who they are that they're children of the most high God. And there's two reasons that that's really important if you're in a leadership role and you are. If you're in a leadership role and you are, one is the reality that you are destined to be with God, that you are a child of God, that you're a partaker of the glory. Is it it combats this myopia that we often tend to lean towards, that life is essentially about us. So if I'm in leadership and life is about me, then then the platform that God gives me is about building my name. And I don't serve you well if I'm building my name. And what Peter wants elders to recognize is this is not about building your name and building your fame. This is about Jesus. It's his church and he is the head. It's about his glory and you get to be a part of that, but there's no place in gospel leadership for building your own platform. The second thing it does is it releases us from this very human need To have people go, oh, you're amazing. And isn't that, that's within every single one of us, isn't it? When I remember I'm a partaker of the glory, that my destiny is to be with Jesus, I'm immediately reminded that nobody's going to be listening to me preach in heaven. (laughs) Let's be honest. If you have the choice between hearing from Jesus and hearing from me, you'd be a fool to choose me. But it's this release from, I've got to build my name, and it's this release from, I need to hear you say, that's awesome, and to build up my own self-identity because my identity's already grounded in Jesus. The best thing for me to do as your pastor is to know that he has favor over me, that I'm his child, that I'm his and it frees me to serve you well, ironically. When I don't really care what you think of me, it frees me to serve you. But if I'm tied to, I've got to hear you clap, and I've got to hear you go, that was amazing. And if our, if our elders need to have you go, awesome job. Which, make no mistake about it, we love we love to serve you well, but if we need it, We're captive to it. And if we're captive to it, we can't make hard decisions that you might not like, but that might be the best thing. See, here's the way that Paul says it. As he writes to the church at Galatia, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he makes this very black and white distinction. I'm either serving Christ and I'm longing for his approval and his applause, which we already have in Jesus, or I'm serving people and I want their applause. He goes, but I can't do both. I can't do both. I can't do both. And leadership's important and leadership is important to God. And good leaders, godly leaders are people who are filled up by the glory of God. And they remember this is about him. This is about him. First Peter chapter five, verse two. Listen to where he he goes from there. He says, they're partakers of the glory that's to be revealed. And he instructs the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And in this passage, we get probably the clearest charge and um, invitation and pushing for elders. The job description that they have is to shepherd the flock of God. So if you're, if you're really intuitive, you're putting two and two together. Oh, we sang a lot of songs about shepherding this morning. All right okay so we're trying to lead you here this is the role of elders is to shepherd the flock but here's what leaders do they embrace their kingdom calling they embrace their kingdom calling it's the same invitation the same calling that Jesus gave to Peter as they were on the shore of Galilee he says to Peter Peter feed my sheep. He says it three different times. Shepherd my flock, Peter. This is your charge. And Peter then says, okay. And now that's the role of every single leader in the church. Every elder is that they would be a shepherd. That they would be a shepherd. Shepherds do three things. They guard, they guard the sheep. Um, For for godly leaders, for elders of the church, they guard in both doctrine, they guard in um, hearts and souls, they guard teaching and they guard people. Now, in this case, in Peter's case, it wasn't let's protect in the sense of preventing hardship that's coming. They're already walking through difficult circumstances, So elders are called to walk through difficult circumstances with people in a way that says, keep your eye on the prize, keep your eye on the cross, keep your eye on Jesus. That's the protection that we do in addition to protecting doctrine. We have oversight, which is giving guidance, giving direction, giving vision. And then there's also the feeding of the spiritual soul-tending care that elders provide. It's interesting, though, Peter wants to highlight three attitudes that elders have as they shepherd. And just a, a quick side note, this summer we taught through Psalm 23. and it was, We called it Good Shepherd. It, all the messages are online, and I'd encourage you, if you want some supplemental listening on and learning from, what, what is the role of God as shepherd? Go listen to it, because what he does applies to what we do as elders as well, because we're called to shepherd. But listen to the way that Peter describes this. He says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So I want to highlight three things. One is elders are willing servants. Willing servants. They're eager to serve. So we will not, I repeat, we will not twist anyone's arm to be an elder here at South. Here's why because the job is way too important to coerce somebody into serving who God isn't prompting. And the job, I'm going to speak really honest with you, sometimes, sometimes it's really, really hard. And sometimes you feel like just going, this is not worth it. Sheep bite sometimes. I didn't know that. And if I don't enter into it, if our elders don't enter into it with an eagerness to serve, there's no way that they'll be able to sustain. At least not with an attitude that serves you well. We won't twist anybody's arm to be an elder. We want elders who feel a calling from God to serve. If there's no eagerness at the onset, there's no joy in the process. That's what Peter says. But willingly. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 would say that the elders should aspire to the role. Aspire to the overseers, aspire to the role. Exercising oversight, that's that leading word. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And then he adds in, not for shameful gain. So, first, elders um, serve willingly. Second, they serve humbly. They serve humbly not for shameful gain. Now, isn't this interesting? Because we're 2,000 years removed from this passage, and you tell me it doesn't apply still today, that people will get into leadership so that they might gain, so that they might make a little extra money right here, so that they might have a little bit of extra power, so that they might climb that ladder a little bit more. Come on now. And Peter goes, no, 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 not with not with my servants, not with, not with who God has called leaders in the church because leadership's important, and leadership is important to God. And leadership's important to God because people are important to God, and godly leaders are called to serve people, not to use people. Say that again. Godly leaders are called to serve people, not to use people. And so Peter wants to guard against that. He wants to say, no, 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 we do this humbly. We do this in the same way that Jesus taught us to serve. In Mark chapter 10, we have this beautiful picture of what leadership means to Jesus. It says, and Jesus called them to him. He says, you know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. This is that domineering. It's talked about in this passage. This is the building of a platform. This is the um, exalting of their name. They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Jesus says, my church is different. Whoever would be great among you must be your, come on, servant. Must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you would be the slave of how many? Oh. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, leaders, and specifically elders, aren't called to dominate over people. They're called to die for people. That's the calling, to lay down their life, to serve. And so here's the thing. If you're in a leadership position in your workplace, your calling is no different. In your family, hey, dads, let's chat for a second. To lead in your home, it's not dominating over your wife or your kids. To lead in your home is to die for the people God's placed under your care. To serve them in a way where you say, I'm willing to lay down my desires and I'm willing to put them off to the side and I wanna, I wanna build you up, I wanna see you flourish, I wanna be, my goal is to see you come to life. That's what it means to lead if you're a follower of Jesus. It's not power. It's sacrifice. Sacrifice. And he says, finally, he says, not dominating over those in your charge, but being examples. So he just says that there's, he he goes, listen, let's not talk about tears in leadership. Let's talk about influence. It's not that elders are above you, it's that they're beside you. And they're locking arms with you and they're going, "Come on, keep going. You can keep doing it." And in fact, they say just the exact same thing that the apostle Paul said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." They're example they're setting examples for the body. According to 1 Timothy chapter 3, they should set examples in their home, they should set examples in their workplace, they should set examples in their neighborhood. See, the goal of leadership isn't notoriety, it's influence. The goal of godly leadership is not celebrity, but it's service. Whatever role, leadership role you find yourself in, and and, and, hey, look up at me for a second, you're in one, you're in one. My prayer is that you know who you are and you know what you're called to do. What's the unique calling that God's given you? Finally, he ends, verse four. And when the, say it with me, chief shepherd. Oh, I love that term. I love that term. When the chief shepherd appears, and he's coming, friends, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Somebody say amen. 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 When the chief shepherd appears, it's interesting, Peter's talked about Jesus' appearing a number of times in this passage, and if you go back and you read through them, there's two things that Peter anticipates. One is judgment, Um, if you will, a making right of the things that have gone wrong. Verse 5 of chapter 4 says, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. This is when Jesus comes back. Those who speak maliciously against you because you're followers of Jesus will give an account. When he comes, there will be judgment. The second thing he says, verse four here, is that there will be reward. Reward. It's interesting because he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the question becomes so do elders get like some special crown? Do elders get something unique from Jesus when he comes back? Um, There's two different perspectives. One is yes, the other is no. Okay, so. (laughs) uh, Here's what Dr. Craig Blomberg from over at Denver Seminary says He says, I do not believe there's a single New Testament text that when correctly interpreted supports the notion that believers will be distinguished one for another for all of eternity based on their work as Christians. The texts are not at all talking about degrees of reward in heaven, but simply about eternal life. So, I mean, Blomberg's essentially saying, what more could he give? I mean, what more could he give? And let's just say, if you do get a crown, you get to throw it at his feet anyway and go, it's all about you. It was all about you. It was all about you, about your glory and about what you've done. You've purchased people out of the grave and risen us to walk in newness of life. Thank you, Jesus. He goes on to say, the elder's crown is nothing more than that which all who share in Christian hope can expect, can expect, can expect. But here's what Peter's saying. Here's what Peter's saying. In the midst of suffering, point people to Jesus. Know who you are, know what you're called to do, and make no mistake about it. He is coming back. And you'll give an account for the way that you live. Here's this point. Here's this point. Godly leaders, they acknowledge divine accountability. And see, you and I know this, you and I know this, that when a leader loses sight of the fact that they'll be held accountable for the way that they live, things go off the rails real quick, don't they? So Peter wants leaders to remember, he wants you to remember, Jesus is coming back and our lives will be laid bare. And that's not something to be afraid of, it's something to be motivated by, to say, I want to honor you. I wanna lift you high. You've been so good to me. My response is, I wanna love you and I wanna serve you and I wanna point people to you and this is no more important in any other realm than it is in the way that we lead. Listen to the way that the book of Hebrews gives us this strong push. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your, what? Souls. Soul's as those who will have to, what? Give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here's here's what he's saying. We're better leaders when you make it easier for us to lead. That's what he's saying. But the point is, um, if you take out this little um, handout that we put in your bulletin, we'll be held accountable before the throne for how we shepherd, how we lead. And I just want to tell you, um, we, take, we take that really, really seriously, really seriously. And we don't want to do it really, really well because we believe that Jesus is worth it and we also believe that leadership matters, and we believe that leadership matters to God, and we believe that leadership matters to God because people matter to God. So we need to remember we're going to give an account, we're going to be held accountable, both in the way of um, showing forth what's, what we've done that's, that's good and that's, that, that points people to Jesus and the things that didn't point people to Jesus. It's all going to be laid bare before his throne, it's all going to be laid bare in judgment, and in reward. So I want to spend two minutes by walking you through what what does eldership mean at South, okay? What does eldership mean at South? We are an elder-led church. You may or may not have known that. We are an elder-led church. We have eight elders who serve on our elder board. I wanted to get you their names, and they were reluctant about giving their faces, but (laughs) I wanted to give you their faces also so that you know who they are, and here's why I want you to know who they are, because they're called to serve you. They're called to shepherd you. They're called to walk with you. Pray for them. Pray for them. It's not an easy thing, but I want you to hear. Wanted you to hear a little bit of their story. We're an elder-led church. We make the distinction here at South. We always have between elders and pastors. Okay. Now, elders are are um, they're, they're men here at South. They're called to serve the body. They serve on the board for a three-year term, and they can do two terms back-to-back. So they can do six years consecutively, at which point they need to go and they need to take a break, okay? Go take a break. We'll call you if we need you type of thing, okay? Um, But they're always considered an elder, just not an elder that's serving in the elder role at all times. So an elder is called to pastor or shepherd, as we saw. But a South Fellowship, not all pastors are elders. Okay, if I had a Venn diagram, I could draw it for you. <laughs> we meet two times every month. We meet the first Tuesday of every month, and that, two, that, that meeting is just prayer. We meet, we gather we lift up the needs of the body. We pray over the body. We pray for people that come in and meet with us. I want to invite you, take us up on that. There's no greater joy as an elder than laying hands on you, anointing you with oil, and praying that the God of mercy would shower you with him. No greater honor. So our first meeting, we, we pray Second meeting is more of our leadership meeting. We review ministry reports and what God's doing in the different ministries around South. We pray for our our, um, staff. We lift up their needs. We review our finances. We guard, we govern, and we guide. Those are the things we do guard, govern, and guide those meetings. Here's what I want you to, to hear from me about our elders one, they are godly men. They love Jesus, and they love you. They really do. I've never been a part of a board that had such unity, one, and such a sense of calling also. It's a beautiful thing. Two, I want you to hear that we are open to hearing from you. The elder room, the elder board is not a closed board. We're not going, hey, we believe we're doing a great job and la, 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 la. Don't tell us if we're not, okay? That's not, that's not where we're at. We, we want to hear from you. We want your feedback, both positive and constructive, but we also want your partnership. If there's problems, if there's issues, we're gonna invite you, come in, share with us, and then partner with us. Let's make it happen. Let's make, if there's changes that need to be made, let's make them. I want you to know, too, we're aware that we'll be held accountable. And one of the ways you serve us in that is by becoming a member if this is where you're going to sink your roots in and worship. Because that helps us know how to get you involved. That helps us know who we're going to be held accountable for. That helps us know the scope of what God's calling us to do. Third thing, and, and lastly, I would ask, would you pray for us? That's one of the reasons I've given you this sheet. So that you can pray for the elders here. But also, will you pray with us? Will you pray with us? When we gather up front here, our elders and our prayer team gather up front, I just want you to know, it is not an inconvenience in the least to have you come up and to pray with you. It is an absolute joy. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. When you write in the bulletin and say, we pray for me? I can tell you, in our elder room, we pray for you. We pray fervently for you. We want to follow up with you, so if you could not write anonymous, that'd really help us. We pray for anonymous a ton, okay? I think anonymous has a a lot of issues, too, but we'd love, we would love to be able to follow up and to see you in church and say, how's it going with your daughter? How's it going with the job search? How's it going with the health concern? We would love to do that, and we can't do it if anonymous continues to show up all the time, but... The third, last thing I would say is um, the scriptures command us, if anyone, is is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the, come on, elders of the church, that there's a spiritual authority that God gives to the elders. And let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, we do that here. We love to do that and to see God show up and to see God move and work in his people. The elders will be up front after the service. We'd count it a joy if you'd come and pray for us. Pray with us. Leadership matters. You see it in lifeboats, you see it in lists, you see it in the church. Leadership matters. And leadership matters to God because people matter to God. Your leadership matters. Your leadership matters to God because you have influence with and over people in your life. And when the chief shepherd appears, I love this. As an elder and as a leader, I love this. Here's why I love it He's the chief shepherd, not me. He's the senior pastor, not me. He is the head of the church. The elders aren't. We're under him. The, the senior pastor is at every single meeting that happens. He goes to every small group. He's at every single mat team meeting. He's at Celebrate Recovery every Tuesday night. He's in your small group. He's at our young adult ministry. He's at our student ministry. He's in our kids ministry. It's almost as though he's omnipresent. Our chief shepherd is amazing. <laughs> the senior pastor of this church Rocks. It's his church. It's his church. And the best leaders, the best leaders are always the best followers. So Lord, help us follow well. Would you stand with me as we close our time together? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.